Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces would love a stop. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. Chelsea Gray for three. Unbelievable. It's the TC Martin Show. Jackie's got it. Aces got numbers. Three on two. To Plum for three. KP, ring it up. Boom, shaka, waka, waka, boom. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, TC Martin. To Bay, she's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times for Bay Bay. TC Martin. And you got that right. Money won't change it. Raquana, Bay Bay Williams, boom. This is the greatest show. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. The doctor is now here. Uh, Hour number two here on this Wednesday. Glad to have you with us. Aces are in action tonight. Is the playoffs. The road to eight, the march to eight, eight victories until the Aces call themselves back-to-back champs. It starts tonight at T-Mobile Arena, tip it off at 7 o'clock. Of course, you can join me on the radio side, 6.30 p.m. for that with the pregame show, 7 o'clock tip. And then T-Mobile Arena tonight, expecting another great crowd on hand tonight. Game two will be Sunday, 12 noon, back at Michelob Ultra Arena inside the Mandalay Bay. For the Chicago Sky, the opponent, they come in as the number eight seed. And the champs, the number one seed, best record in the history of the WNBA, 34-6 and as they finish the regular season on a current four-game win streak. And uh, they are ready to roll. So pumped up, fired up, revved up, and it all takes place tonight, the beginning of the WNBA playoffs. And uh, join us now, our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Who was hanging out with me yesterday at practice and uh, got a chance to write a fantastic column this morning. If you haven't read it yet, go to the Las Vegas Review and check out my man's column regarding the champs. What's up, Sammy? TC, how you doing? Happy Wednesday. Appreciate the kind words. Uh, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Uh, just trying to save my voice, Sam. That's what I've been trying to do, man. I've been, <laughs> been doing a lot of talking lately. Just so you you could take over this uh, this segment. How's that? <laughs> I, well, I, well, I appreciate the platform. What, what do you want? To, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, you know the aces. Let's talk about your column. I really thought when you were when I was reading that this morning, I said. Man, I said this is pretty much what I'm saying on on a daily basis. The you know the way you broke that down, uh, talk about how well they're playing. That we're seeing history in front of our eyes, and you know we'll get to the to the MVP talk here in just a, a couple moments. But yeah, I'm just uh I'm just curious again uh, what you've noticed uh, covering this team. Well, um, it's a historically great team, TC, and I think in order to, you know, the contents of my column, as you kind of allude to, is I think this, you know, with a championship, you might be looking at the greatest team in WNBA history, and, and I think there are a number of factors, right? The regular season dominance, the sustained 40-game stretch, longest season ever, you touched on it, the, the WNBA record for victories, to sustain that kind of pace uh, as the defending champions, understanding that it's all about the postseason, you know, particularly for this team to, to, to sustain that kind of pace. And Becky Hammond alluded to it yesterday and has talked about, very, talked about it various times throughout the course of the season. Uh, their professionalism, how competitive this group is, what this group wants to accomplish. And, and lo and behold, they finished the season with the best offensive rating in league history, the third best net rate rating, that being, uh, you know, points per 100 possessions, how many points they outscore their opponents by per 100 possessions. So, analytically this team grades out as good pretty much as good as any team uh in the league they have the record to back it up and then you go up and down the roster uh and might i remind you as you know and might i remind our audience this is a team that was supposed to have candace parker uh and raquana williams at this time of year right we understand candace parker what she brings uh with her two-way play even at this stage of her career we saw it for half the season her passing her defense her rebounding uh her timely scoring uh her experience the whole thing she's a seamless fit made the whole thing go, uh, and, and and then Raquana Williams, one of the best three-point shooters in the league and, you know, the uh, unsung hero uh, of last year's postseason. That, that being said, without them for a majority of the season, sustained the pace uh, that they kind of set with Parker in the lineup 
for the first half of the year, and then and then the talent on the roster, Asia Wilson, best player in the world, an all-time great that we're seeing uh, in real time, do historic things uh, in real time in her prime. Chelsea Gray, league's best point guard, most, most clutch player, uh, has a banner season in her prime. Kelsey Plum, uh, as explosive as a scorer, uh, as you'll find, three-point shooting, floor spacing, uh, the way she's improved as a defender, the, the way she's improved in terms of picking her spots, going to the basket, shooting, passing in her prime, right? Jackie Young uh, ascending, emerging as, one, as you know, perhaps the best two-way wing in the league, 44% from three this year, uh, physical defender, can get to the basket, can rebound in her prime. So you, you look at the makeup of the roster, uh, the analytics, the, the wins and losses, what they were able to sustain throughout the course of the season, their bench, their veterans on the bench, Kia Stokes, Alicia Clark, champions know exactly what to do uh, when they're out on the floor, exactly what their roster is. And then, you're, you you know, quite possibly uh, in Becky Hammond, right? And, and, and she's just getting started. We'll see how far this thing goes and where her coaching career continues to take her. But she's as good as any coach that's that's been in the WNBA. I mean, with her tactical uh, brilliance, her ability to adjust, and then her ability to relate to her players, uh, and just manage the course of the season. She's a masterful job. So with all that being said, right, it's going to require a, a championship to validate this. That was the goal when the season started. Uh, but but they, they're the favorites. They, they rightfully should be, despite their struggles uh, with New York. You know Becky Hammond's been saving some of the adjustments uh, and some, some strategies, some looks um, that she's had or that she knows she could go to uh, during the regular season, save those for the postseason, and then as good of any coach uh, in the W in terms of adjusting, right? When she was out coached last year and it was only a couple times in the playoffs, always came back with a better game plan uh, the second time around. That's part of it. So uh, they, they're the favorites. They're, they're ready to go. They're healthy. And uh, yeah, like, like, like the column said, TC, I think that's what's on the line. Sure, a repeat championship uh, is massive enough, but this is a team that, that was historically great all season, and I could put uh, the finishing touches on that with a title. Without Candace Parker, okay, and, mm-hmm. and Raquana Williams, both. I mean, we know that it's it's postseason time, and the conventional wisdom says that this could come back and hurt the Aces. I know the Aces have got a strong core four. I won't say a starting five, but they got the strong core four, as we know, with Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, Jackie Young, and and, and Kelsey Plum. Alicia Clark coming off the bench, and we're seeing more of her with that starting unit instead of Kia Stokes, but it makes them very, very small. But again, the bench is very, very thin. Let me ask you, Sam, what do you think as far as how much not having, uh, you know, especially Candace Parker for this postseason is going to hurt the Aces? And eventually, could that be, uh, and the lack of bench that they have just because of a numbers perspective, could that be the ultimate demise? I mean, certainly, right? If you were to make a case for why this team won't win the WNBA championship, that that's it. That's the case uh, right there. It's a lot of responsibility for the starters. Even last year, uh, similar kind of, you know, that's the same starting five that won the championship last year. Even last year, took kind of historic playoff runs from both Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray, who were absolutely impeccable. And then, uh, of course, Kelsey Plum and, and Jack Young picking their spots and having huge moments as well. But the the, the burden, the responsibility that it was required that that was required of Wilson and Gray was just massive and and I think you know much of that will be required uh, again and especially you know in a series with the Liberty with that being said this is why you go all out for the number one seed right a more favorable draw compared to the Liberty who have to deal with you know the Mystics uh, championship caliber team even though they're the seventh seed experience with Elena Deladon quality coaching uh, chemistry and whatnot that's a tough matchup for them in the two seven draw and then you know Connecticut the three seed as well so. The, the way to combat that if you're the Aces is handle your business. I mean, handle your business in the first two rounds. Get as much rest as possible. These series don't need to go extra games. Uh, and that way that, that would ensure that all things considered, right, without Candace Parker, without, you know, at least at this point without Raquana Williams, that would ensure that they're going to be at least be as fresh as possible. But I, I think the kind of the big matchup to circle TC and it's not, I mean, it's no surprise. We, we've kind of been building into this all year. And of course they go out have to go out and play the games and both teams earn their way to the finals, but where it would come back to hurt the most is against the Liberty because of their depth and because of their size. But even then, you know, speaking to that matchup uh, in particular, again, Becky Hammond alluded to at practice or after practice yesterday, uh, you know, identifying some things during the regular season that maybe uh, she can go to in the playoffs and hasn't gone to yet. So this is why they play the games. Um, it, it will be, I think it will require another, you know, massive effort and strong effort from, 
from the starters, particularly Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray, but they've proven that they can handle that. And again, part of um, handling your business during the regular season, I mean, record for, for 25 point victories and 20 point victories is you get to, you get to save the starters a little bit. They get to rest uh, in the fourth quarter. I think Becky Hammond did a masterful job of kind of managing the minutes as best she could, uh, given the circumstances and the injuries she's dealing with. So uh, to your point, to, you know, to your question, yeah, that, that could, I mean, if there is a weakness that team has, Little thin up front and not quite the depth, but but uh, rotations shorten in the postseason anyways. You want your best players playing a majority of the minutes, and because of how uh, the regular season was managed I, and, and what we saw last season, have absolutely no doubt uh, that the starting lineup, uh, the, you know, the six that that generally play are going to be ready to go, uh, especially if they handle their business in the first couple series. And we have seen this, especially in basketball, whether it's at the NCAA tournament or I'll say specifically. Uh, in the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals, that is always Sam. Always seems like there is that unsung guy in it or or woman, and that is comes off the bench. And it was Raquana Williams last year. Could it be Alicia Clark this year? The the you need you need one or two people to come off the bench that will do maybe some hu- some superhuman things, or you know again you know maybe eclipse their their season average to do that because you know. Not all the starters are going to be on every given night, especially when you're talking about playoff basketball because the matchups are so so tougher. So I just hope that the Aces get that. They have a couple candidates still off off of that bench, or maybe if it's a starter, like you know, we haven't seen the best of Jackie Young over the last couple of weeks. You know, you, they're going to need that, especially in the finals. I'm 110 percent with you, and that's you know the at the playoff playoff basketball. Uh, every team, I mean, you know the opposition, you know their plays, you know their sets. Uh, like you said, it's all about matchups and all about key adjustments. And you're playing the best teams, you're playing against the best coaching staffs, and with more and more time that you know, more and more time to prep, uh, game plan specific, and, and do different things and try and take away different things. So yeah, to your point, DC, uh, you saw Raquana Williams last year step up and hit massive shots. Who knows? Who knows who it's going to be this year? Uh, and, and and you know, is the starting lineup capable of, of carrying more? Than they did, so that that's what we're going to find out, and that's what you know. Again, that's why they they play the games, but but the Aces, you know, because of that historic regular season, have ensured that they're going to have the the quote unquote easiest route possible. Uh, the championship is going to come through Las Vegas. This has been a very 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 difficult place to play for opposing teams, especially over the last couple of years. And and it's it's as cliche as it may be, you know, role players uh, reserves uh, tend to do better at home, so. If there is a decisive fifth game uh, in a particular series, be it the semifinals or the finals, the Aces know they have the luxury of, I think at this point, pretty clearly, right, uh, the, you know, the best crowd uh, in the WNBA behind them, the best atmosphere in the WNBA behind them. And that was really, I think, reflected on Sunday when 17,000 people came out to T-Mobile Arena. So uh, this is, again, this is why you handle your business in the regular season. It's why it still mattered. And in, uh, to, to Becky Hammond's point yesterday, uh, speaks to the competitiveness, the professionalism, the cohesion, uh, the mental toughness uh, of the Aces to sustain that level of play throughout the course of the season, when when the seating was so close with the Liberty and it, you know came down to the, the final day, a couple bounces the ball go differently. Maybe it's it's a different kind of situation, but uh, all road you know the road to the WNBA championship will run through Las Vegas, and and this is uh, a, a tremendous home court advantage for the Aces. Certainly has been uh, the last couple seasons. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and again, fine columnist that covers everything here in. Las Vegas and specifically the Aces. Sam has been there, uh, like myself, from day one since the team relocated uh, from San Antonio here in 2018. You mentioned the fans. You talked about the home court advantage. Let's get into this a little more, too. 17,406 Sunday afternoon. You, you get displaced out of your arena at Michelob Ultra Arena in Mandalay Bay because the Toyota Convention is there. So you, you go to a bigger place, which is great because most teams, heck, I go back to a couple seasons ago when the Aces uh, played Phoenix and, and the Mercury got displaced out of the, well, now it's called the Footprint Center, but before that, I think is what the U.S. Airways are we in arena because there was Disney on ice. And we were forced to go over to Arizona State University played a much smaller venue, kind of a dilapidated venue, and usually don't get a chance to to go to a bigger, shinier, newer building. And T-Mobile Arena welcomed the uh, the Aces with open arms, and it was fantastic that you almost had double the crowd that you would have at a game at Mandalay Bay. We'll see how that transpires tonight with the opening of the playoffs. But more importantly, Sam, eh, I still run into this out there, 
where there are still some fans that live here in Las Vegas that still may not have gone to a game or they still really don't understand the WNBA or even kind of, you know, downplay it a little bit. Now, obviously myself and you as well, we're very close to this situation and we appreciate basketball, you know, involved with the organization. And so it comes across a little bit skewed, especially, you know, people probably hearing it from me. But I really want you to 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 kind of just educate those people because they're still out there, as you know, that maybe still kind of turn their nose up at the product or really haven't given it a shot and still don't understand it because it is still out there. What do you say to these people to convince them or at least put the lights, you know, put the light on on, on this team and this league of you know to give it a shot? Well, I think. Um at least with the Aces here in Vegas, right, TC? I mean, kind of like we just talked about, this is the best team ever. I mean, quite potentially the best team ever with some of the best players in the world and their respective prime, brilliant head coach that play an aesthetically pleasing style of basketball, very team-oriented, very unselfish, very fast-paced, lots of scoring. Uh, The crowd is super enthusiastic, and I think, generally speaking, uh, that that kind of, the the crowd, the atmosphere, like the energy, that makes the, the experience in so many ways, and it's a credit to, uh, I mean, just so many different people involved with the organization, and the, the, the support staff, front office staff, uh, the in-game promotions, et cetera, et cetera, marketing. Like the Aces games uh, for fans and, and, and even for like even me to a certain degree, TC, because of the music, the pace, just the energy in the arena. Like there, there's a there's a it's a real vibe. There's just a real energy uh, in the building and and and. Uh, the, the, the in-game promotions, timeouts or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's a real understanding of how to make it a full 360 degree, uh, kind of global cohesive experience around excellent basketball, the best basketball players in the world. So, you know, 17,000 strong. I mean, that's not a coincidence. It's a, it's a credit again to, to so many of the individuals in the front office, but more importantly, uh, to the team, to, 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 to the aces, to the players. Uh, that have, you know, ensured that this franchise is, is, is sustained championship level play, uh, and have brought their best every single night since moving here in 2018. So, uh, a lot goes into it, but the atmosphere itself is, is just electric. Whether it's a regular season game that the Aces are winning by 20 or 25, like, or 30 when it's not competitive, or if it's a playoff game, like, you know, some of the games last season against the, uh, the Seattle Storm and the Sun where it comes right down to the wire, like the crowd is engaged. Uh, the in-house DJ plays great music to keep the vibe. Um, fun and electric and, and, and it's, it's, it's good, fast paced, um, high level basketball. It's the best basketball players, uh, in the world. It's the highest level execution. And with this team in particular, it's, it's history in terms of a Hall of Famer on the sideline and Hall of, and, and Hall of Famers at the absolute peak of their powers, like sharing the floor on a nightly basis. So uh, I think from what we've seen, you know, the, the, the crowd, the way that the brand has been built the last several years and what we've seen last postseason, I mean, you, it's fair to only expect uh, the energy to be at another level. I don't know how exactly you quantify it at this point, TC, because all the pretty much all the playoff games last year were sold out at uh, Michelob Ultra Arena or Pact or whatever. But the, the Aces have eclipsed their capacity, you know, multiple times and set new uh, arena records at Michelob Ultra. They set a franchise record uh, at, at T-Mobile Arena the other night. Uh, so, so the, the 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 fans are responding. I think the city is showing how much they appreciate it, and, and for those who haven't experienced it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, you know, a fair price ticket in part, you know, one of the best tickets in town, uh, in, in terms of bang for your buck. So, uh, it's, it's, it's been, um, you know, fascinating to see this thing grow, uh, since 2018 when the Michelob Ultra Arena was, em- you know, pretty much empty, uh, on a nightly basis, three, 4,000 fans, and nobody knew who this team was. Now it's, you know, perhaps the, the biggest brand. Uh, in the WNBA and with, you know, all the playoffs being nationally televised, a great showcase for not only the franchise, but for, for, for the fan base that they built in Las Vegas as well. Yep. Record numbers from a TV perspective. Uh, you know, again, you know, salary cap has increased the television deal with, uh, ESPN and ABC. Uh, they are rolling right now. It's, it's never been better in the WNBA. Final thing regarding the WNBA and the Aces, Sam, with you is the MVP situation. Yep. Now the Associated Press, the AP announced yesterday that they gave the MVP to Brianna Stewart. Asia Wilson got the Defensive Player of the Year uh, award. But, uh, again, the big, you know, honor is going to be when the WNBA hands out their postseason awards. The MVP will be, uh, announced, um, two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now. So, uh, Becky Hammond has come on and has, 
you know, bang the drum for Asia Wilson. I have done it. Nikki Vargas came on a couple of days ago and did the exact same thing. And then I'm not surprised that the AP said Brianna Stewart, but I think that the AP is a little East Coast bias here. But for all the reasons that, that you had said earlier and what you wrote in your column, it really is a no-brainer, Sam, isn't it? That Asia Wilson is the most valuable player and should be again. And what she means to this team and what she means to this league, she is the most valuable player who's doing it um, without a full roster and not a super team. And let's make that very clear. These are not a super team. Okay, they didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't put this together through free agency, you know, like uh, like the Liberty did. But playing two hundred less minutes than Brianna Stewart. Your thoughts on MVP? Um, I'm with you. I, I don't even think it's a question. I think more generally speaking, TC, the awards, the postseason honor, like the the, the honors that, that come out during the postseason. I, I think generally they're supposed to kind of be. You take a look at the the awards, the postseason honors, that should be a snapshot of, of the season. You should be able to take a look at those and kind of be able to piece together, this is the story of the season as reflected in this postseason awards. Well, well, the season was about the Aces. The Aces just had, again, like arguably the greatest season in WNBA history, set all kinds of records, record efficiency. She was so dominant uh, when she did play that she was afforded the luxury of sitting out several fourth quarters uh, it, it was the MVP last season, increased her scoring average, increased her rebounding, uh, increased her block shots, uh, increased her field goal percentage, anchors the defense uh, without, again, another rim protector on the roster, uh, without Candace Parker, the, lead, the, the best defense uh, in the WNBA at that, uh, as well as the best offense. She set the, the single-game record or tied Liz Cambage's single-game record um, with 53 points. And, again, to tell you a little bit about her character as a superstar, was totally content leaving statistics and production on the table by sitting out those fourth quarters, understanding what it meant for her teammates and then for her in the long run uh, in in terms of preserving her legs for the postseason as much as possible. So uh, the the Aces were the best team in the league, and she was, I I think, far and away the best overall two-way player uh, this season. Respect to Brianna Stewart, respect to Alyssa Thomas. Of course, I think Shuin's. For all WNBA first team, that they should both be unanimous and absolute strong cases. But their their teams didn't accomplish anything historic. Asia Wilson's team did, and she raised her game uh, to even a higher level than she was at last season. She had the best season of her career, the most efficient season of her career. She's an incredible teammate uh, in terms of how, in terms of how she approaches the game on a day to day basis. She doesn't care whether she scores or whether she produces. She simply produces at that level because. That's what that's what's often required for her teams to win and to dominate the way they did throughout the course of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what the vote is, TC. But she's, I mean, I've, I've said it on your show multiple times. She's the best player in the world. She's in her prime right now. She's coming off the best season of her career and, and the awards uh, this season to reflect that. I also want to add, I think, you know, the, the, the whole core four should be all WNBA. I mean, they were all fantastic at having career seasons in their own ways. And again, it's a, the, the award should be a snapshot of what this season was about. This season, in a lot of ways, was about the Aces and, and the dominance uh, that they had. So, uh, again, we'll be super interesting. I'm, I'm sure the vote will be split uh, a few different ways, but, but all things considered, uh, Asia Wilson had the best season of her career for the best team in, in WNBA history. Uh, that kind of speaks for itself and stands on its own merit. No, I mean, you hit a lot of great points. Like I said, just echo my thoughts. But I think what you said that really not anybody else has said, that the postseason awards, are, well, these are regular season awards, but it, you know, you, you give it to them in the postseason. But yep. the, the bottom line is it should be a snapshot, microcosm, or like I said, the, the, the cliff notes of the season. Of the regular mm-hmm. season. And you're right. This is a one of a kind historic season and her numbers are better this year than they were last year. And for the nonsense to say, well, Brianna Stewart leaves Seattle to go to New York and then, you know, okay, you know, they're the second best team. Okay. That's fine. She's had a great season, but you have to pick one. You got to pick one in MVP. And to me, it is still clear cut that it is Asia Wilson. She's on the best team. She's put up the, the better numbers from an efficiency rating standpoint. And again, she's done it with less time on the court. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. And again, it just, it seemed pretty simple, but then again, I don't know when I look at like the AP thing, it's not that I don't respect that, but I mean, I, I kind of don't respect it, Sam. You know what I mean? I mean, are, are these are these people that are voting for the Associated Press? I mean, are are they really watching these games? 
Do they know this well, league? That's what I want to know. I, I think there's, I mean, and, and, and certainly Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, right? The two best players in the world there. Uh, Brianna Stewart has a, has a pretty game. It's perimeter oriented, step back jumpers, it's three pointers. And Asia Wilson's game is just more, more blue collar, run the floor, deep seal, layup. Get to the bat, uh, you know, face up, drive, two free throws, uh, beat uh, the opposing big down the floor in transition, things like that. So, uh, the, the glamour, the glamour in terms of her production, uh, it's not, it doesn't quite look the same as it does for Brianna Stewart, but statistically, I mean, there's no more efficient score in the league. When she's out there, she dominates. She dominates on the interior defensively. She dominates on the interior offensively, and she's selfless enough to understand when to defer to her teammates be it in clutch spots and big spots, deferring to Chelsea Gray, or throughout the course of the game and, and picking her, her spots to, 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 to have an impact as a scorer. So uh, I, I think it's pretty clear-cut and dry, TC. Again, the Aces had the best season in, in WNBA history, arguably, and she was the driving force of that. You hear her teammates come out and say it over and over and over again, as great as they are. You think they're just making that up? Like You think Becky Hammond's just making up that the whole system is able to go because – of the way Asia Wilson approaches it? Like, absolutely not. So, um, again, we'll be super curious uh, to see what the vote looks like. I- I'm sure it'll be split um, three ways. But if she doesn't win it, that tells me that it's that at this point it's just voter fatigue and looking for something new. The Liberty are every bit, from a talent perspective, as loaded as the Aces with Courtney Vandersloot and John Paul Jones and Sabrina Ionescu and Benazza Laney. Uh, and they also have a championship-caliber coach in Sandy Brondello. So, in terms of the supporting cast and whatnot, it's it's just a, a kind of a pick your preference, and I think it's clear um, that overall, again, I don't want to beat beat the horse to death, TC, but it's clear what Asia uh, meant to the Aces this season and 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 how she was able to dominate on both ends of the floor. She should be rewarded accordingly. You got it, Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, let's leave on this. Uh, Raiders get ready to go to Buffalo after the win, uh, not overly impressive win against the Broncos. Uh, miss extra point left on the table early on by by the Broncos. Will Lutz, their kicker, seventeen sixteen. Garoppolo twenty for twenty six. Uh, two hundred yards, two touchdowns. Okay, fine. Denver really killed themselves. Botched onside kick to start the game. Um, you know, again penalties down the stretch for them. Josh Jacobs not overly impressive. Uh, we didn't ex- expect him to be. You know, nineteen carries, forty eight yards. That's you know two and a half yards per carry. And then the the penalties revisited the Raiders as well, too. Ten penalties in that game. Um, give me your thoughts on, on what you saw with the Raiders uh, on Sunday against the Broncos and now moving forward, going to Buffalo. Uh, situational football, TC. That was not a perfect game by any means. I would, I mean, you could make the case it wasn't even a good game. But when the Raiders absolutely had to be good, they were. And Jimmy Garoppolo is exactly as advertised. He's accurate. He's decisive. He's poised in the pocket. Didn't take a sack. That's a credit to the offensive line. But also, of course, a credit to him for understanding you know, the, how, to, how to maneuver the pocket, when to run, when to step up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Defensively, not, you know, not anything to write home about in, until the fourth quarter when you had to get a goal line stop and then you had to force a three and out. Well, they did that. And then most impressively, even more impressive, TC, in my opinion, than the, the go-ahead um, drive the, 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 where Jimmy Garoppolo found Jacoby Myers for the go-ahead touchdown uh, was his ability to run out the clock. The Raiders hadn't done that since at least 2,000, run out the final five minutes uh, of a game, according to data uh, provided by Sport Radar. That is the hallmark of a professional win, you know, when you can get the ball and the opposing, and you have a lead and the opposing team doesn't touch it. And it's hard to do, and it's hard to execute. And the Raiders, who lost nine, uh, nine of their 11 losses last season, were by one score. So this is where they couldn't succeed last season. They sucked situationally uh, last year. So far, they're one for one. Uh, you clean up some of the penalties, uh, help Max Crosby generate a little bit more of a pass rush, uh, and Josh Jacobs has his legs back under him, then you can go in there and hang with Buffalo. I don't see why not. Josh Allen uh, will give away the football. Uh, leads the league in turnovers since, 2000, uh, since 2018, averaging two a game uh, since the end of in his, like, his last 19 games or something like that. Uh, he's there to make mistakes. Um, he's also there to make big plays if you don't get pressure and, and you're not physical with him. So uh, the, uh, the, not the aces, the Raiders are, are in a prime spot. The jet, uh, the bills coming off of a short week, uh, an emotional loss in overtime. They kind of have to have this game. Uh, certainly expect that they'll be at their best and sharper, uh, that they were at Monday. And it's fair to expect a better effort, 
uh, from Josh Allen. But I think the opportunities are going to be there. If the Raiders take care of the ball and clean up some of those penalties, get some more balance going with the running game and keep Josh Allen stationed on the sideline, uh, they're going to have an opportunity to win this game. If they, if they revert to the team that they were last year, and, and we'll see what it looks like. One win is great, but it's only one win at this point. If they revert uh, and struggle situationally again, and Jimmy Garoppolo is back there taking sacks and getting hit, and the run game doesn't get off the ground, then you can forget about it. But it, it, it feels, um, yeah, I don't want to you know overreact to one win, but, but it feels like a, a different team. Jimmy Garoppolo brings a different dynamic at quarterback. He brings different experience. He's, bring, he's been in different situations. He brings a different style of leadership. Uh, and that seems to really be resonating with this locker room as Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler try and carve out uh, a culture uh, in year two and, and, and try and establish some standards, uh, certainly standards that they didn't meet uh, last season. So it, it's, it's a daunting task. It's going to be a raucous atmosphere. It always is in Buffalo. But uh, all of a sudden, this game a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago went from one that you know, didn't, seem, didn't seem to have a, a lot of juice to it to now it has a ton of juice to it with, for both sides with kind of being a must-win game. Uh, for the Bills this early in the season, the chance for the Raiders uh, to really make a statement as they uh, enter their home opener next week against Pittsburgh. So I'll be out there, TC, for the Review Journal. Um, check my first time in Buffalo. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to, to a great atmosphere. And, and, it, and I think a real opportunity for the Raiders uh, to, to, to catch a Buffalo team that, that, that struggled a little bit on Monday night. Good deal. All right, Sam. Well, hey, enjoy your trip uh, to Buffalo. Have some good wings, man. Uh, the weather should be uh, pretty good, too. You can actually have balmy temperatures in September in Buffalo, which is very, very rare. Uh, September's a nice nice month, actually, up there, I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. We're, good. we're, we're catching it when it's, uh, when it's still you know, relatively warm. I mean, I, yeah. you, know, you hear about the, snow, the legendary snowstorms and whatnot, and who could forget you know, the Monday night football game a couple of years ago. So, thankfully... Uh, that won't be us. Looking forward to a nice day. And, and again, my first time out there, I hear it's one of the best, uh, you know, most impassioned fan bases in the league. Looking forward to seeing that in person. Yeah, there you go. Just be careful out there if you're going to be going through uh, the parking lot and the tailgate, Sam. That's some <laughs> dangerous territory there, my friend. I mean, you're going to see some people that are going to be lathered up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, 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 there certainly will be. Uh, I'm going to try and get there plenty early. Hopefully I beat them to the punch. Yeah, number one, I, I remember uh, the HBO Real Sports story. This was a long time ago where they went through all these different tailgates and, and, and they said most intoxicated fan bases. And, and by a wide margin, Buffalo was number one. Stay away uh, from <laughs> tables, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch out for the tables over there, man. There, there, there's some crazy people out there. That, that's the call. The column should be on that, Sam. Or at least, you know, do two columns. One in the Raiders, one in the game, but the tailgate experience. That, that's what I want to hear or see or read. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to check it out, TC, now that I know a little bit more about it. I appreciate the education. I, <laughs> I, I can't wait to be up there. Can't wait, can't wait to be up there Sunday. I'll see you out at uh, T-Mobile Arena tonight. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having me. Take care. There he is, Sam Gordon, uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, one of the finest columnists and, again, covers uh, everything regarding here in Las Vegas. All right, uh, we come back. We'll uh, talk NBA. Some NBA news uh, came down today. Some interesting, I want to say, call them rule changes, or we'll just say suggestions. All right, let me put some water on your balls. More from the master debater. C. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. All right, we got Aces in Chicago Sky tonight. Game number one of the WNBA playoffs. Remember, that is at T-Mobile Arena tonight. And again, great stuff from Sam Gordon in that last segment. You can join me on the radio side. Remember, uh, Fox Sports Radio tonight, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM tonight. Pre-game 630 with Asia Wilson and... Becky Hammond, and then Sunday, we're back on ESPN Las Vegas, but uh, 12 noon game. Remember, from the TV side, ESPN tonight on television and ABC on Sunday, games one and two, and game number two will be back at the house at the Michelob Ultra Arena inside the Mandalay Bay. Programming notes continuing on tomorrow. Barry Oden will join us, the head coach of uh, the UNLV football team, currently one and one, got that... uh, Easy victory against Bryant College a couple weeks ago. Then they went to the big house in Michigan, and uh, they played actually pretty well. Now, UNLV did not cross midfield in the first half, but they're only down 
uh, you know, 21 in that, uh, at halftime. And then they got on the board with a touchdown. So I know coaches aren't really into moral victories, but when you have a program like UNLV, you really have to think about it like that when you're playing the number two team in the country. Heck, a team that could end up number one in the country when it's all said and done. And, you know, they gave a pretty good display against, uh, you know, top tier competition over the last few years when they went to Ohio State, played in Columbus, and again, Michigan this past week at the big house. You know, when they played, uh, USC and UCLA and others, but um, it's still going to take time. Barry Odom, Barry Odom knows deep down inside that you know it's a long road. He's still got to recruit. He's got to do a better job than what his predecessors have done. And um, you know the Mountain West Conference is you know not as strong as it has been in years past. So hopefully they can um, they can have a good showing this week. So they're back at home this week against Vanderbilt, a program that has really struggled over the past few seasons. And so Vandy will come in here, and I think it'll be a good litmus test for UNLV to exactly see where they're at. So it's a 4 o'clock kickoff at Elysian Stadium. Rebels are back home, so make sure that you get tickets for that. Go to the UNLV um, Athletics website to purchase your tickets. Also, um, you know, they're for Allegiant Stadium to get your tickets and four o'clock against Vanderbilt. So hopefully, you know, team can have a good showing and come out with a W. And that would be something else. When was the last time UNLV was two and one after three games? So Barry Odom will join us on tomorrow's show. We'll talk about where he feels his Rebel football team is at currently right now and look ahead to Saturday's game. Scott Spritzer will join us as he traditionally does. Our handicapper extraordinaire. Look forward to that as we talk college football, and the NFL from a handicapping perspective. And then, of course, on Friday, back at the Westgate inside the world-famous Superbook, Jay Cornegay, John Murray, our good friends there, Marco D'Angelo, will join us as well as he normally does on Fridays. So there you have it. And uh, leading up to the weekend where we have another uh, big-time NFL weekend, we head into NFL Week 2 in college football Week 3. And, of course, on Friday, our Best Bet segment uh, will be there as well. And uh, go on the website to check everything out there at tcmartinshow.com. Everything from the best bets to the blogs to the interviews and everything else there on the website. All right. So some interesting news today. And I can really appreciate this. And I'm finally saying, thank goodness, you know, that the NBA is trying to do something about load management. The NBA Board of Governors voted today to approve a tougher, tougher resting policy on rules and punishments for star players who sit out games. Now, these are going to include nationally televised games, in-season tournaments, because we know that w, uh, rather the NBA is going to that like the WNBA did, um, you know, with their Commissioner's Cup series. Uh, this also is going to uh, be centered around all-stars sitting out together for regular season games where sometimes we do not see um you know maybe two or three all-stars on one team they all decide to sit out at once so this gives the league office authority now for greater oversight on disciplining the teams for players missing games and also gives the NBA the ability to fine teams more than 1 million dollars for each violation. Now, the new rules that mandate players participate in 65 regular season games to be eligible for postseason awards. Okay, so let's break this down. It's about time, right? So you don't usually consider a player for a postseason award, whether it's MVP, defensive you know, player of the year, whatever it is, right? All right, sixth man of the year, if they're injured and they miss time. This should be, this way it always should be. Okay, they put in a number of games. So if you don't play 65 regular season games, you're not eligible for any of these postseason awards. So I think that is a great start. All right. The NBA also is defining who a star player is as someone who's made the all-star team or all NBA teams as any of the three previous seasons. 
Now, in total, there's 25 teams and 50 players. That's nearly 11% of the league that are impacted by these new rules. 15 teams have multiple players who were named All-NBA or to an All-Star game in the previous three seasons. So the list of impacted players could potentially change after the 2024 NBA All-Star game because at that point in time in February you'll find out okay well you know who's an All-Star and so they could actually now go on this list. The NBA will incorporate a fine system as well for teams that begins with a $100,000 fine for the first offense, a $250,000 fine for a second offense, and a $1 million or even more fine than the previous penalty for each additional fine. So they're cracking down, and it's finally addressed. Now, usually you have to get approval from the Players Association because it's a, it's a joint situation between owners and, and the Players Association. You have to have this agreement in place. But the league is just bearing down here and saying, no, this is what we need to do to make our game more watchable and, you know, for the betterment of the game. So here's the, the breakdown. There's basically five, five sets of standards that they've, they've put here. So the NBA sent out a memo to all of its teams, and it says this. Teams must manage their roster to ensure that no more than one star player is unavailable for the same game. So I'll give you an example. We'll use the Celtics. All right, they would not be allowed to rest Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the same game unless they're both injured, all right? Now, that's going to maybe create some murky waters here as well, too. Okay, what? Well, how do we really know they're injured? How many times have we seen, you know, an injury status, and what does that mean? Does that mean flu-like symptoms? Does that mean, you know, twisted ankle? What does that mean? So you know that there are going to be some teams or specifically players that try to circumvent that rule right there. Teams must ensure that star players are available for nationally televised games and the in-season tournament games. Now, the NBA is really adamant about this in-season tournament, whether you like it or not or whatever. And I'm not sure I'm going to like it, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Heck, I did not like the nonsense that they've done, you know, with the postseason, you know, the playoffs and giving teams, you know, that are ninth and tenth seeds, you know, opportunities to to get in the mix instead of just the top eight. But it's like anything, you know, fans get used to it. Just like Major League Baseball. So many fans were against the ghost runner on second base, you know, for extra innings. So games don't go 15, 16, 18 innings, right? But over time, you get used to it and you kind of enjoy it. I still, I know there are still people out there that don't like that period, don't want nothing to do with it. But this is what we're seeing in sports nowadays. All right. They're trying to make things more, you know, pleasing to the eye to keep fans engaged in these games, whether it's trying to shorten the game or now in the NBA's case, make sure that you've got star players playing which is a real problem, all right? This load management thing is the butt of so many jokes right now. So you got to clean it up, all right? So it's good that they're taking the initiative to make this happen. Teams must refrain from having any long-term shutdown or near shutdown, meaning when a star player stops participating in games or plays in a... Uh, materially reduced role in circumstances affecting the integrity of the game. So what they're saying here is that a team is 25 games out of first place. They're 10 games out of a playoff spot. And there's maybe, you know, 13 games left in the regular season. When you say, okay, we're shutting that player down. They're not going to play anymore. You're done. So it doesn't matter for fans if, say, it's a LeBron James and, you know, he's coming maybe 
to your city on the, you know, going to go play Washington and they got a game, you know, scheduled in March. Ah, we're going to shut him down. He's not going to, he's not going to make it. All right. That's what they want to try to avoid. They want to make each and every game, you know, when you purchase a ticket that you're going to get the best effort and the best, let's say, you know, presence of your team. That's what you want to see. So another good thing, and obviously you could tell that the league has really taken a lot into consideration here. This isn't just something that, hey, we're throwing on a piece of paper and, you know, we're going to do this. Now they thought this thing out. They also said teams must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home games and road games. So that goes to the point we just talked about, right? About, you know, fans want to see a visiting team superstar. It may only come once a season. All right. Now, they want to do this with a preference for those absences to happen in home games. All right. So you figure, for the most part, fans, if you're season ticket holders, you're going to be going to 41 games or have the ability or the chance to go to 41 games. But they realize, okay, if you're a fan base and you're a casual fan, you may go to one, two, three games. But for the road situation, you're spending money on travel and you don't get a chance to see, you know, that star visiting team player. Yeah, it's no good. So under the scenario, let's say both the Washington Wizards and the Portland Trailblazers take a couple of bottom of the barrel teams, they would have been investigated by the league last year after shutting down Bradley Beal, who missed 10 games, and then Damian Lillard missed 11 games at the end of last season. So they're trying to, again, you know, protect that and make it a good fan experience. Teams must ensure that healthy players resting for a game are present and are visible to fans. So if you're if you're a player and you're healthy and you're suited up, you're ready to go, right? Um you're good. But on the other hand, if you're a healthy player and you're just gonna take a load management night off, they want that player to be in the building, not only the building, they want them to be in uniform, in their warm-ups, on the bench, and maybe come out for warm-ups. Maybe take place, you know, for the shoot-around session to the pregame situation there where they're putting up some shots, or if they're not putting up shots, just be there on the bench. And they come out there, be available for autographs. I'm not playing tonight. Well, at least I got a chance to, you know, get a picture of this superstar player or maybe potentially an eight-year-old kid could get an autograph. So I think all those are, are, are pretty important elements. But yeah, the uh, that happened today. NBA Board of Governors voted today to approve much tougher resting policy um, and also put punishments for, you know, star players sitting out of games, put that in place. So good stuff there by the NBA with that. Now we'll just see if they follow through with that. That's what I want to see. Because the load management thing is just got downright ridiculous. Plain ridiculous. All right. Uh, we talked a lot about um, the NFL a little bit, you know, with, with the Raiders situation, the Aaron Rodgers injury uh, a little bit earlier uh, today. Again, you want to see what the Raiders can do in Buffalo. Now, I know conventional wisdom is saying that Buffalo is coming off that loss. They're going to be mad, ready to go. That's fine. Josh Allen is going to face a much softer defense than he saw Monday night against the Jets. All right. Can Josh Allen, you know, be the guy, um, you know, for the Bills this season? Because you don't want to judge by one game, but this is a guy that has at least you know, two turnovers per game when you average it out. This is going back to last year. And the guy is a phenomenal quarterback. He's one of the best. There's no question about it. But he does have those moments where we've seen, especially in big games, where I call it the Wyoming head comes back into play. Not you know trying to say, okay, guys from Wyoming are dumb as a box rocks. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying... These quarterbacks who don't play major college football and major conferences, 
This is why I was never a Carson Wentz fan, okay, from North Dakota State. Trey Lance, that's why I was, I was against him being the number three overall pick, or, you know, with the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, what are we watching here? Josh Allen, when he came out of Wyoming, it really took a long time for me to, to wrap my arms around and embrace him, right? But you see this. You see it. We saw it with Brett Favre. Yes, he ended up being a Hall of Famer. But when he came out of Southern Miss, I mean, there was question marks. Is this guy going to be able to play at a high level without making the bonehead mistakes? And we're seeing a lot of this from Josh Allen over the last couple seasons. And he was downright awful. He's got great ability. But again, sometimes he's not thinking, you know, I mean, taking off and running and, you know, not tucking the ball away or taking the punishment and these extra hits. And that's what we saw. So Buffalo's got to clean up some stuff. They're a great team. Do I think Buffalo will come back and bounce back? I'll probably be on them uh, against the Raiders. You got the cross-country flight. You got all that other kind of stuff right now. Okay. Even though the Raiders already made their way to West Virginia to, to you know, you know, practice there. Um, that's the deal, deal here. You know, wh- what's going to happen here? Raiders got a, got a good victory, but they won't, weren't overly impressive. Could probably make the argument that Denver did more to lose that game than the Raiders did to, to win the game. But, Raiders didn't allow a sack. That was fantastic. All right. And uh they were they were pretty clean with the football, the Raiders were. So we'll talk more about that. Raiders and Buffalo coming up here in the next couple of days. All right. Want to thank Sam Gordon for joining us. Trevor Maddich, of course, from ESPN, who joins us each and every week, part of our best bets uh, each and every week as well, too. Appreciate him breaking it down from the college football standpoint. Fantastic stuff. If you missed the Trevor Maddich interview, go back to the website and check that out a little bit later on. That is in hour number one. All right, tonight, we do it over at T-Mobile Arena. Looking forward to it. The Aces opening up the postseason, the playoffs. Game one against Chicago Sky. Best two out of three. All right? And the Aces want to get this done. Get it done quick. They're 16-point favorites tonight. So, remember, 7 o'clock tip-off tonight at T-Mobile Arena. If you can't get out to the game, television side, it's on ESPN tonight. The radio side, 98.9 FM, Fox Sports Radio. That's uh, our uh, where we'll be broadcasting the game tonight, 1340 AM, 98.9 FM tonight. Pre-game show, 630. Tune in. Becky Hammond, Asia Wilson, myself, and, of course, with the play-by-play at 7 o'clock. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene here tomorrow. We'll recap the Aces and look ahead to a very busy college football and NFL weekend. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2. Yeah.